Hey yo, Packer fans, what's going on? Welcome to the Packers Trilogy podcast presented by the Wisconsin Sports Trilogy, the podcast for diehard Packer fans by diehard Packer fans. I am your host, Trevor. You can find me on Twitter at Bender underscore Trevor. And I am joined, as always, with my good buddy, Tyler, a.k.a. T. You can find Tyler on Twitter at Tyler Kurth. Um, you can also find Scott if you want to follow him at Vanilla Seven Gorilla. He is camping, I think. Um, so he's not able to join us this week. We are planning on getting a Bucks trilogy podcast out finally. Um, so that is exciting. Be on the lookout for that. Hopefully, that's coming later this week. Um, you can also you can find that at our Twitter page, Trilogy underscore Pod on Twitter. Make sure you check us out on Facebook where. All of our podcasts are being posted as well. Um, that's the Wisconsin Sports Trilogy podcast there on Facebook. Today, we, on our Packers part of the show, we are going to focus on the offense. And we're going to talk about different position, the different position groups and just kind of talk through what we expect for the 2020 season and then... After we talk about that, we'll go into a little bit more depth and see, you know, what would be the plans if we were in charge or what do we want to see happen um, kind of moving forward with the different contract situations and how those could play out and just kind of take a little bit further step um, rather than just talking about this year and expand it out the next couple of years and talk about how we want to see the Green Bay Packers team kind of evolving there. So before we get to all of that, Tyler, how are you doing? I'm doing quite well today. I had a good weekend. I caught up with some friends on Friday and drank a little bit and or a lot of bit, I guess, in Wisconsin and woke up on Saturday and thought it was Sunday. So spent Saturday lounging around and woke up today on Sunday as recording this all sorts of confused and took a big long nap and yeah, it felt like I got an extra day out of my weekend, so I'm confused, but I'm doing really well because I'm enjoying it, if that makes any sense. <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I am not confused. I knew it was Sunday today. I've, I've had a great weekend. Um, you know, I am drinking Central Waters Mud Puppy Porter right now, Uh me and my girlfriend actually visited her sister and her sister's fiance this weekend um, in the Stevens Point area. And before we came back today, which, like Tyler said, is Sunday today when we're recording this, um, we we stopped at Central Waters with them, had a couple of beers there, played some euchre, and and it was a pretty great weekend. And now I had to come back and finish off the stash of Central Water beers I had 
had here. Um, so pretty great weekend overall for me and having a nice tasty beverage right now makes it all the better, uh, before we have to go back to work tomorrow. Ugh. All right, Tyler, before we get talking about the Packers, there is some NFL news, um, and a kind of interesting one. So going into kind of the off season and after the draft and everything, how that all played out, how free agency has played out to this point. We all kind of assumed Jared Siddham was the quarterback in New England. Well, that's not really the case anymore because today the news dropped that Cam Newton is going to the Patriots. So at first I thought, you know, going into the, after the draft and things, after most of free agency, I was like, okay, it's the Bills division to lose. But now with Cam Newton, I feel like that could change. And I also feel like if anyone's going to get anything out of Cam Newton, it's going to be Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniel. So that is going to be fascinating to watch, even though I don't want to see the Patriots win anymore. That would be slightly less hurtful now that Gronk and Tom Brady are gone, because I still like Bill Belichick as a coach, and I think he's an all-time great. But I, I'm just sick of Patriots fans who are now probably uh, Buccaneers fans. But I just they've they've won enough. They don't need to be good again this year. <laughs> yeah, I agree. the The signing kind of caught me a little bit off guard, but it's it's a low risk, high reward for the Patriots, right? Like they couldn't go into the season how they were without signing somebody. Um, so. It, it makes sense. I mean, they're getting Cam Newton now at 31 years of age. And, you know, for most quarterbacks, that's that's still a pretty good age. And some might even say you're still in your prime at that time time frame. But for Cam Newton now, and I think it's a little different just because of his style of play. He's always been kind of that runner and accuracy hasn't always been very consistent except for that one year they went to the Super Bowl. Um, so, I mean, you know, maybe, maybe he found something. He didn't play a lot last year. So, He's coming in not not banged up, probably pretty healthy compared to what he has been in years previous. And yeah, like you said, the the Patriots will find a way to utilize him, which is which is kind of scary to think about. But it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. So, along with this, like 20 minutes ago, ESPN tweeted out that the Patriots' odds went from 25 to one to win the Super Bowl to 20 to one to win the Super Bowl. Um, so their odds did improve, and obviously Jared Stidham is a very, very, very unproven player. Um, and Cam Newton, for he has definitely flaws, and I'm not a huge fan of his game. I don't think he is a top-10 quarterback in this league. I do think he's better than Jared Stidham by far. So um, I, obviously that does... That does make them better, and it's it's interesting. They also went from a 10-to-1 to a 9-to-1 chance to win the AFC. Um, so, so it does give them fairly good odds in that regard, and it'll be interesting to watch. I think it makes this NFL season a little bit more interesting because now the AFC East is a little more interesting when before – you know, you you didn't know what to expect from the Patriots. And it, like I said, it was just kind of the Bills division to take. And, and now it makes that division a lot more interesting. And in this season of what is likely going to be lost revenue due to 
um, not being able to have fans in the stands or having to limit fans in the stands, you know, making it more interesting will hopefully get more TV numbers and hopefully generate some revenue back that way. Um, I do think overall it's a good thing for the NFL as long as the Patriots don't win again. (laughs) Um, But let's go and talk about Packers. We've talked about the Patriots way too much for this Packers podcast. Um, So we are going to start by talking about the quarterbacks in this discussion. So like I said, first, Tyler, I want to go through kind of 2020 implications for the quarterback position as a whole. So obviously guys on the roster, Aaron Rodgers, Jordan Love, Tim Boyle, and also on the roster is Jalen Morton. Um, He is a undrafted free agent from this year from Prairie View A&M. So let's, let's just take it away, Tyler. What do you expect from this quarterback position in 2020? I mean, I think my expectations are the same as everyone. You expect Aaron Rodgers to start and play all games possible, pending, you know, hopefully he doesn't get injured or anything. But I feel like 2020 is still his year. We all know Jordan Love needs another year. So I don't think there's any discussion there. I think Jordan Love is definitely going to be your QB2, mainly because I think when it comes down to setting – setting the actual depth chart on game day, like will the Packers keep two quarterbacks or three quarterbacks? I think that's really kind of the biggest discussion here really. Um, But I mean, outside of outside of this year, I think that's kind of where the quarterback discussion gets more interesting as a lot of people have talked about this off season. And I mean, at this point, really it's, it's how Aaron Rodgers performs. If he plays extremely well and we just say, hey, we can't justify starting Jordan Love when Aaron Rodgers is playing at this level, then that's a really good scenario to be in. It's like a Tom Brady and Jimmy Garoppolo kind of situation. Um, But if he continues to play at this level where he's been slowly declining over the past two or three years, then 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 2021 will be a little more interesting. But 2020 is all AR-12, I think. Yeah, and and I don't think there's any question, you know – even even on a team that doesn't have a lot like a franchise quarterback right now that may have drafted Jordan Love, say, oh, let's say the Panthers drafted Jordan Love and um, I don't even know who their quarterback is. Did they sign anyone? I don't know. Let's <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> let, let's say the Panthers who have no one at quarterback sign or draft him in the first round and they're that's their quarterback of the future um face of the franchise type of guy I don't think he starts week one even for a team that doesn't have a quarterback I just there there is a lot of work to be done with him I think he has all the talent in the world he might be the most talented quarterback this year but he just has some consistency issues um, some trying to do too much slash reading the defense slash kind of predetermining what he wants to do before he can read the defense that can get him into some trouble. Um, occasionally not seeing exactly what's happening in the zone. Um, those types of things are issues for him. And it's something that's sitting behind even a, subpar quarterback in this league 
sitting behind a veteran, watching them do the work um, and see what they do right, see what they do wrong and learning from that, that would be a good thing. And I think even if he got on one of those teams and started, you know, week eight, halfway through the season, that would be better off for him rather than starting right away. So there, there's no question to me that he is taking Aaron Rodgers' role in 2020. Now, the interesting part comes after this. You know, what happens with Aaron Rodgers this year? If Aaron Rodgers throws 4,500 yards, 40 touchdowns, and five picks, Jordan Love isn't starting in 2021. Um, but if Aaron Rodgers... You know, he is on a decline right now. A lot of that had to do with injury. But if he kind of continues in a downward trajectory, like you said, Tyler, I think it gets a little bit more interesting. And we've went through this, so I don't want to spend, you know, 30 minutes talking about when we could see Jordan Love getting meaningful minutes or meaningful playing time. But it, it is an interesting and rather exciting for me because I've watched – not a ton of film on Jordan Love, but I have watched a decent amount of film on the guy and the talent, even in his 2019 tape where he wasn't as good, the talent jumps off the tape. He he can make every single throw off platform. Um, and, and in that way, he reminds me a little bit of Aaron Rodgers because Aaron Rodgers can make any throw. I recently watched like a highlight video um out i can't remember who posted it on twitter um i shared it on the podcast twitter so if you want to scroll back to earlier this past week um it was on there just it's two minutes and 20 seconds of like straight chills and the thing i got from that was how in the world did aaron Rodgers throw that pass to jeff janice in that cardinals game I still do not understand how he got that to him. I don't understand how that Hail Mary happened. But that's the type of talent Jordan Love has. He can make every single possible throw on the football field. Um, and it it is great to see. So it is an interesting conversation, more future term. But right now it's Aaron Rodgers, QB1, Jordan Love. Tim Boyle at QB3, I think he's fine and in that role. I wasn't particularly um, comfortable as him as a backup, but as a QB3, you know, maybe he's on, maybe they keep him on the 53, maybe they cut him. Like, I just don't know if they're going to keep three quarterbacks, but it's Aaron Rodgers and Jordan Love, and it's going to be that way until – there's no Aaron Rodgers, and it's just Jordan Love. So that'll be interesting and fun to watch on the quarterback side. Let's move ahead to running backs. So obviously we have Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, Dexter Williams, Tyler Irvin, um, and the second-round draft pick, A.J. Dillon. There's also some other players on the roster, um, including Demaria Crockett. And Patrick Taylor, um, Crockett has one year of experience. I believe, uh, don't quote me on this, but I believe he was an undrafted free agent last year. And Taylor is an undrafted free agent from this year's draft. So let's talk a little bit about 2020 for the running back group. 2020 is going to be interesting because the running back group 
got better, right? You thought it was good with Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. Well, now you throw a second round pick in there. So when you kind of have to look at your initial depth chart, obviously Aaron Jones is number one. And then it's like, well, a second round pick, I think it's easy to slide AJ Dillon in ahead of Jamal Williams, um, at least from, you know, number two and number three, how important that is. I, I don't really know. Um, Dexter Williams has, as we've talked a lot about, a lot of mental issues to overcome and the physical talent is there. Um, whether or not he can, he can put it together this year, we'll, we'll see, but Swerve and Urban will be interesting to see too, because I wanted to see more of him last year and now you added AJ Dillon in there. So you got three running backs ahead of him. So how Matt LaFleur is able to use him, um, will be kind of something to, to monitor, but I'm might kind of more curious to see how the snap counts are going to work, you know, assuming everyone's healthy. Looking at Aaron Jones' offensive percentage last year, he played 62% of snaps, and it's like, well, is that going to go up or down this year? Because we got better at the running back group, and we can kind of do a by-committee thing. Um, we can kind of split Aaron Jones out more now um, as a receiver if we want to. So, uh, 2020 I mean yeah it, it's all Aaron Jones and in a contract year you should feed him the ball like a ton um, but you know how these running backs are going to be used is going to be very interesting yeah and it, it, it is an extremely interesting group um, the quarterback is more interesting for the future I think the running back is extremely interesting in 2020 and the future depending on what happens with Aaron Jones but for 2020 what's going to happen for the 53 is my big question. So last year, the initial 53, now obviously this changes throughout the year, but the initial 53 last year, they kept three running backs. They kept Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, and Dexter Williams. They released Keith Ford and Trey Carson. They obviously brought Carson back. Um, they brought Swerve and Irvin in. So there obviously can be some changes to that, but – are, are they going to keep four? And and if they keep four, I can't imagine they keep Dexter Williams over Tyler Irvin based on some of those mental issues and lapses that he had previously. Even though I, I've been a big fan of Dexter Williams, I think his talent is insane. And I think he could be a great player. But also you need to put guys out on the field that you trust. And I 1,000% trust Tyler Irvin more than I trust Dexter Williams and Tyler Irvin might not be quite as physically gifted, but he does bring a unique kind of juice and added element to this offense. He's basically, in my opinion, Aaron Jones light. He's not, he's not Aaron Jones. He's not anywhere near Aaron Jones, but he kind of brings those same qualities. He can be split out in the slot. You can run um, end arounds or, something like that with him. You can have him run slants. You can run bubble screens. Just get him in space, and he can create. Um, Aaron Jones can do that as well, but he's he can definitely create in the running game. I don't – we haven't seen that from Tyler Irvin in a Packers uniform yet. Um, but those two players, to me, need to be on the roster. A.J. Dillon needs to be on the roster. Jamal Williams needs to be on the roster. And I don't think you can keep more than four. And last year, like I said, they kept three. So it, it's not even guaranteed that they keep four. But to me, those four guys need to be on the roster. And in terms of snap count, it definitely is interesting. So 
if you plan, if your plan is to re-sign Aaron Jones, I think you keep him around where you had been. You're like kind of still saving him, um, still want him to be able to compete for 16 games. You still want him to be able to compete and be at full strength, you know, the first year of his new contract, second, third, fourth year of his new contract. You want him to be healthy and going, and you so you keep him kind of at that 50 to 60 or 65-ish percentage for his running. So you keep him fresh and you keep him around for the playoffs and keep him healthy, those types of things. If your plan is to not re-sign Aaron Jones, you give him the ball 80% of the time and you just let him run and you get every ounce of him that you can get because he is such a huge talent and he can make plays out of nothing. And so it'll be interesting to see how they use him. Um, I don't think AJ Dillon fights for Aaron Jones reps. I think he fights more for Jamal Williams reps Um, just because Jamal Williams is a good player. He's a very solid player, good in pass protection um, his hands are good. He's not going to be able to split out wide and run slants and or sluggos or goes or anything like that for you and make a significant impact like Tyler Irvin or Aaron Jones can do. Um, but he's just a solid player. But I think A.J. Dillon is more of a weapon, um, but a similar type of player. He's a guy that can stand up and pass protection because he is so huge. He is a guy that can kind of lead block if you have a two running back set. You, He's a guy that on third and one, he's going to get you four. And I just feel like he is a better type of player than Jamal Williams, even though we haven't seen it at the NFL level. I think the talent is there to be a better version of Jamal Williams. So it'll be interesting to see how they kind of split that up. But I do think for 2020, my opinion – um, is to keep four because Tyler Irvin is such a useful, versatile back. You can throw him on punt and kick returns, and you can have him in those gadget roles. You can have him do a sluggo. You can have, you could have three running backs theoretically on the field at the same time. You could have Aaron Jones, AJ Dillon, and then you can also have Tyler Irvin split wide, or Tyler Irvin in the backfield with Aaron Jones split wide. There's just a lot of different things that he can bring not only to this offense, but the team in general, in general, the special teams, all those types of things that he can do, I think just make, I'm sure they make Matt LaFleur giddy because it makes me giddy some of the stuff that he can do and give you that illusion of complexity. You can take him on a jet motion across the field and you can give it to him. You can fake the handoff. You can fake the handoff and give him a bubble screen or a swing screen type of thing. There's just so many different things that you can do with him that it's going to be tough for me, at least, to keep him off the roster. Um, Do you have anything kind of moving forward past 2020 for running backs? Um, I mean, obviously, moving past 2020, the biggest talking point is Aaron Jones, which we'll see what happens there. But... Kind of like the thing you lose, though, with Aaron Jones, if they're not bringing him back, is is receiving threat ability. I was looking at some of his stats here while you were talking. In 2019, he had 68 targets, 49 receptions. So during he had a total of 474 receiving yards. 
433 of them were yards that he got after the catch. So the total distance he traveled on average here, it says yards before catch per reception. The average was 0.8, <laughs> um, which is which is really low. Um, but then yards after the catch, he averaged 8.8 yards after the catch. So like you said, being able to make make people miss and make things happen is is something you would miss there. And I think you, when you look ahead after 2020 and you look at AJ Dillon, I think he does have that ability. Like he was, like we mentioned, he's going against uh, stacked boxes all the time. And he's kind of looked at as like a one cut guy, but he really knows how to make more than one cut. I think, especially at a full head of steam from the, the film I watched on him, but you know how he can kind of show maybe something in the passing game this year might have an impact on what they decide to do. Like we've we've said during pregames, like hey, it looks like AJ, AJ Dillon has good hands according to guys who watch him. But if we can sh- see something in games, that might make leaving Aaron Jones a little bit easier, if that makes sense. Yeah, and. Just like Jamal Williams, he's not a guy you're going to split out and do those things that Aaron Jones and Tyler Irvin can do out wide. But if he can catch the swing screens, the bubble screens, you know, some stuff like that, if he can do that and catch his check down routes, those types of things, and is just effective in that way, and you get him out in space, one, if he has a step on the linebacker, the linebacker isn't going to catch him. And two, I don't know if there's a cornerback in the league that can straight up tackle A.J. Dillon, maybe get him off balance enough to bring him down, but he's going to get an additional five, six, seven, eight yards because he's just going to be able to run through defensive backs, whether it be safeties or cornerbacks, because he is a bulldozer. Um, That is definitely an interesting part. And you mentioned him not being a one cut runner. I think we might've mentioned this on kind of his, that round or day two draft recap. Um, we talked about him. You know, he might not make a guy lose his jock strap, but he does little subtle kind of jukes or fine movements that instead of having to completely bulldoze someone, he can do this little shifty thing that makes it into an arm tackle. And I don't know if there is a human out there that's going to be able to arm tackle this guy when he's running at full speed. So I just think that he definitely is more than that. And that is something that I saw on tape that, you know, he does these just subtle things that allow him to get into an arm tackle, which makes it a lot easier to break. And then he's not having to slow down because of that, because he is such just a powerful guy. Um, And that's something that you'll definitely have to keep an eye on. And it's all about if they're going to resign Aaron Jones. I personally think, and I've said this, I think it was in our last podcast, Kenny Clark, David Bakhtiari are 1A, 1B for me, respectively. Aaron Jones is number two, but I don't know if you're going to be able to sign all three of those guys. And if it was me making the calls, and Lord knows we don't want that happening, but if it was me making the calls, it would be Kenny Clark gets signed, David Bakhtiari gets signed, if we have the money maybe we sign Aaron Jones and he's probably going to have to take a hometown discount if we get those other two guys signed. Um, so it's definitely an interesting conversation, but the money might be kind of a limiting factor with that. So let's move ahead to some wide receivers. 
Um, let's talk about 2020. And I think this is going to be the most interesting talking point um, beyond 2020. We really don't know what's going to happen because we need to see 2020 happen in order for us to get an idea of how, how we want to move forward. Does MVS step up? Does um, Alan Lazard continue to step up? Does Equinemia St. Brown make that big, which would be year three for him technically, but kind of a year too late because he didn't play last year. Um, it'll be interesting to watch. So I'm just going to run through the wide receiver names on the depth chart. And then Tyler, you can go ahead and start with your kind of 2020 predictions for that. So obviously we have Devontae Adams and then Reggie Bagleton, Devin Funches, Jake Kumaro, Alan Lazard, Darius Shepard, Equinemia St. Brown, Daryl Stewart, Malik Taylor, and Marquez Valdez-Scantling. So, Tyler, go ahead with your kind of 2020 season predictions or thoughts on the wide receiver group. Man, I always get so excited about wide receivers. Like, last year I got way too hyped, and then everybody was not doing well. And uh, these predictions are always hard. But I think we can say safely Alan Zard's going to get probably the first chance at being that wide receiver two, as we're going to call it, or at least get the the most amount of snaps at wide receiver behind Devontae Adams, at least get the first shot at it. Um, signing Devin Funches, I think from what I've heard is I kind of want to use him in the slot. That's kind of, we were talking before the podcast, like that trend that where guys want bigger, bigger guys in the slot to just go up and catch the ball. Um, especially in the red zone, that'd be, that'd be good. But I think the kind of underrated part of putting Devin Funches in the slot is I've heard a lot of other Packer podcasts talking about how the actually the best running formation for the Packers last year was out of shotgun. And then you have your three wide receivers in these sets and, so, you know, how well Devin Funches can block um, might be something to monitor going forward, especially, you know, just, just not getting stupid penalties and bringing any of those those runs back because the Packers do actually use three wide receivers a decent amount. After there, yeah, it gets hairy. Like, who's who's going to step up? MVS the last two years has showed promise in the beginning, and then just it seems like his snap counts just go down, 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 and then he's barely on the field at the end of the year. EQ, I'm I'm super excited for, and I and then Jake Kumaro, I mentioned in a previous podcast, and I was like, I'm kind of over him, like <laughs> he's been here forever. But uh, on the Packaday podcast, they actually had an, an interview. I don't remember who it was with, but they mentioned Jake Kumaro is one of those guys who, in practice, he just he just goes hard. Like coaches pay attention to that, so like <laughs> getting rid of him might be harder than it seems. And I know Scott would be be pleased to hear that but you know the undrafted guys I'm, I'm really excited for them too but I don't know it I just get a headache thinking about what's what's going to happen with this wide receiver group yeah and it, it it it's an interesting group just like it was last year I'm still very excited about them and probably too excited because they haven't kind of proven it to me outside of half a year of Alan Lazard and Devontae Adams. Those are the kind of only two guys that have like proven to me that they can be a force for this Packers team. Um, but I still, that's that I'm still very, very excited about this wide receiver group. So last year the Packers kept six of them. Um, those players were Devontae Adams, MVS, Gmo, Trevor Davis, 
Jake Kumaro, and Darius Shepard. They released Tio Redding, Malik Taylor, Jamon Moore, and Alan Lazard. Obviously, Alan Lazard comes on later in the year. And then injured reserve was Equinemius St. Brown. So if we go with six players, out of those players I mentioned, for me, obviously, Devontae Adams, Alan Lazard are pretty much their their locks for the roster for me. Um, if if we're going with six players, those two are absolute locks. I think Devin Funch is as as close to a lock as you can get without being one. So those three, 99% sure are going to be on the roster for me. After that, I think it's MVS, EQ, and then it's it's kind of a question. Who who do you give that six? Do you give a sixth? You're keeping four running backs, like I said earlier. If you're keeping four running backs, can you afford to have these six wide receivers, or do you have to cut there and only have five? Um, obviously, you can bring guys back if someone goes on IR or something like that, but it, it's, it is a very interesting kind of dilemma, and I also think tight ends can play into this. You know, if you keep Mercedes Lewis, Jay Sternberger, Robert Tanyan, and DeGuara from this year's draft, is is that going to, if you have four tight ends, four running backs, can you only keep five receivers? Um, that, that would be interesting. If they do keep six, probably Jake Kumaro. But I do think there's guys that have more of a high ceiling. Jake Kumaro, as your sixth wide receiver, is going to be solid. You know what you have with Jake Kumaro. That is who he is. I don't see him being a even number four wide receiver, but I do think he's a solid contributor lower on that depth chart. Um or do you go with a guy that might have higher upside? Do you does Reggie Bagleton come in and just continue what he did in the CFL and kind of have great run after the catch ability, those types of things in training camp and just be like, you know, for as great as Jake Kumaro or as solid as Jake Kumaro is, and we know what we're getting, let's have another guy on there that can just take off because there is a lot of guys on this roster that can take off. Devontae Adams, bona fide number one in this league. At the very least, top five wide receiver, top three, in my opinion. After that, you have Alan Lazard, who can be a, in my opinion, if he realizes all his potential, he is a top 10, number two receiver in the league. So somewhere between 32 and 42 receiver in the league. Um, Devin Funches, same kind of numbers. Injury kind of derailed it last year, but he just, last year, he signed a $10 million contract. So he is no slouch there either. Um, and then Equinemia St. Brown, Marquez Valdez, Scanling, just um, Equinemia St. Brown has gobs and gobs and gobs of potential. MVS, we've seen what he can be. He can be that deep threat. He has the speed to do it. It's just if he can be consistent enough to do it. So there is just like, so much potential of this wide receiver group. We have to stop talking about potential at some point and start talking about on-field production, because if we continue to talk about potential, they're not going to be good. We're just going to have Devonte Adams 
and maybe one guy show up. We need more than that. I think Alan Lazard, Devin Funches give me a little bit more security. But if we can have one of MVS, EQ, and pick one of the other guys, whether it be Malik Taylor, whether it be Jay Kumaro, Reggie Bagleton, Darius Shepard, Daryl Stewart, any of those guys, if they can step up and be a adequate, good number six and just make you feel comfortable with them on the field and not cringing that they're out there, that is kind of what we're looking for for wide receivers. And like I said earlier, I don't know if we can go past 2020 without knowing what these guys are going to be doing in 2020. Um, so this is kind of a unique group because it's it, it's up in the air because it's it's all potential and what could be if they hit. And we don't know if they will because true wide receivers in this league – you can argue Devin Funches and Devontae Adams are the only ones that are proven. Alan Lazard did it for half a year. He's got to do it for a full year yet. So it, it's going to be definitely a fun, fun group to watch. Let's move on to tight ends. Um, right now, currently on the roster at tight end, we have Evan Bayless, Mercedes Lewis, James Looney, Jace Sternberger, Robert Tanyan, and then the rookie third-round pick in Josiah DeGuara. So, Tyler, let's talk 2020. Who's going to be on the roster? How do you see that tight end group playing out? Um, I think probably four is the number you want to keep, thinking Jay Sternberger, Lewis, DeGuara, and then Big Bob. It's really an interesting kind of group compared to years previous, like Jimmy Graham at Ella has been your number one, even though – he wasn't the greatest tight end for the and a Packers uniform anyway. Um, but, you know, it's it's younger this year. Jason DeGuara, you got Sternberger in year two, DeGuara in year one. Lewis is the veteran, obviously. So you got a lot of you got a good mix there. So hopefully I think the youth can step up. Either one of Sternberger, DeGuara carves out some sort of, of big role here. And I was looking at uh, the 2016 Falcon stats, which I know is weird, but that's the year that Matty Ice just went off year two of the offense and whatnot. And I looked at some of the tight end stats and they had three of their tight ends or two of their tight ends, excuse me, around 20 catches and another tight end around. He had 13 catches. So if you can, you know, that's kind of you can, obviously not every team is like made up the same way, but if you get that kind of contributions and, Obviously, you're throwing in maybe five touchdowns, six touchdowns out of the catches between all those tight ends. I, I think that's kind of the production you're looking for in this group. Yeah, and I definitely think you're right with the four that are going to be on the roster. I do think they keep four. Um, Mercedes Lewis has been in this league for forever, it seems like. Um, and, and we know what we're getting out of Mercedes Lewis. He... He has been a very good tight end in this league for 15 years, and we know what we're getting out of him. We know we're not going to get a guy that can, you know, run seam routes and have mismatches against linebackers or safeties and and just destroy teams like Travis Kelsey or George Kittle. He's he's not that guy, but he's a solid receiver. He'll catch anything that's thrown to him, and then he's one of the best blocking tight ends. Definitely that I've seen. <laughs> um, I'm a pretty young NFL fan, but 
he he's basically a tackle when he's pass blocking or run blocking. Like he is that good of a blocker and that willing of a blocker. So for me, he's got to be on this roster, even though he's 36, there's going to be decline. He's 36 years old playing a physical position. We talk about Aaron Rodgers declining at the same age at a less physical position. So there's obviously going to be decline there, but I think his on-play field's important, but what he's going to bring to these young guys, like you mentioned, Tyler. Jay Sternberger in his second year. Uh, Josiah DeQuara in his first year. Robert Tanyan, who's in his third year. Like It's not like he's a veteran by any means either. He's still kind of in that rookie contract situation as well. So getting that veteran leadership, teaching these guys how to be pros. Granted, Sternberger and Tanyan are, are kind of already there, but just continuing to teach him. I think we might see a handing of the reins kind of towards the middle of the season where Mercedes just might be losing a step and things like that. But he did everything he could in the locker room and on the practice field to help DeGuara Sternberger really kind of nail down that blocking and help with that, help with route running, those types of things. And then we're going to see DeGuara kind of halfway through the year start getting more snaps, but it's going to be a lot of blocking type snaps because he is a very physical guy in that regard. And then we'll see him on, you know, some tight end leak plays because you have DeGuara out there rather than Mercedes Lewis, you know, DeGuara can, can has a little bit more juice in the past game. Um, if you run a leak to Mercedes Lewis, you might get seven yards. You run the same leak to Josiah DeGuara, you might get 15. So just things like that. I do think um, as much as Aaron Rodgers loves Mercedes Lewis, as much as Packer fans at least should love Mercedes Lewis because he is he's a great player, a great guy, um, I just think there there might be some of that kind of handing over the reins. I do think Jay Sternberger is wide receiver, or tight end one, excuse me, um, and I'd – I don't think it's that close. I think he's going to get, you know, you talk about that 2016 Falcons team and they had around 20 for two guys and then 13 for the next closest guy. I think it's going to be, I would be happy with more like a 30, 20, 10 split with Sternberger getting the 30, you know, Tanyan might get a little bit more reps early and that'll get him to 20. And then late Josiah DeGuara kind of comes in and starts getting a little bit more, in terms of receptions and pass game reps later on in the year. So he's around 10 that that's a split that I could get on board with and be excited with because around the league, you're not going to hear guys talking about Jay Sternberger, um, Robert Tanyan or Josiah DeGuara, but I am excited about all three of those players and, and big dog is going to be a big part in all of their developments more than he probably already has in, in the case of Jay Sternberger and Robert Tanyan. Um, do you have anything else on tight ends or should we get to offensive line? Um, not, not really. I mean, DeGuara is obviously the most versatile tight end, so he can carve out some roles in other areas as well. Um, although the Packers said they'll probably use him as a tight end, but yeah, blocking will be one thing to monitor with him, but yeah, let's move on to the O-line. We love this talk. Yeah. Yes, we do. Um, yes. And H back fullback might be a, an option for him. We'll see Sternberger more in that true tight end role, maybe even split out sometimes, stuff like that. I do think we'll see some snaps with DeGuara in the backfield, which is a good use of his talent because this is a guy that can do anything. But let's get to 
the coveted offensive line talk, something we love talking about here on our podcast. So let's go through, let's start with tackles. Um, on the roster, we have David Bakhtiari, Travis Bruffy, Cody Conway, um, Yash Neiman, Rick Wagner, John Leglu, and then we also have tackle guard Alex Light. And then um, we do have the rookies. Now, they're not really um, – John Runyon was a tackle at Michigan, but he is not um, – considered to be a tackle prospect in the NFL. So let's talk to him, talk about him more at guard, but what, what are you thinking about this tackle position? And, and maybe um, Billy Turner sneaks into this conversation a little bit as well. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned Billy Turner. Cause obviously left tackles locked up for this year, uh, 2021, eh. Who knows? We'll see if the Packers fork over some money, which we all think they should for Bakhtihari. But yeah, the right side is going to be where the discussion is. I mean, I I don't really know. A lot of people are kind of dissing Billy Turner and his play from last year, but I don't know. I felt like to the eye test, he was pretty solid. Like I don't ever going, oh crap, Billy Turner. I don't remember grumbling about him. Like he he was a solid dude over there. He played he played decent. We'll put it that way. Um, so. Who, who carves out that role for right tackle? I, I don't know. It's going to be one of them training camp things. You know, who gets off hot or and who kind of earns it right away. And hopefully they can stay healthy and stick it out the rest of the year then because confidence is everything, especially especially on the O-line. So I'm, I'm kind of interested to see how that battle shakes up. Yeah, that at the tackle position, uh, that right tackle is, is the thing to watch. Um, obviously we know David Bakhtiari, um, barring injury, he is your left tackle for 16 games without a doubt, put a stamp on that. Um, but I think that right tackle position, I personally think it's Rick Wagner. Um, and it's not that, and they didn't really pay him that much, but it's not even that they just paid him that money. I think, I think he's the best right tackle available. Um, and I think... I don't think it's particularly close with that because I do think whether it's Lane Taylor or Billy Turner at right guard, whoever doesn't like, if they decide that Billy Turner is the better right guard, you have Billy Turner at right guard, Rick Wagner at right tackle. I think that's a solid right side of the line. And before last year, Rick Wagner has been a pretty damn good right tackle in this league. He had a massive contract from the Lions that the reason he's a free agent is they cut him because he wasn't particularly good last year. But if he if that was more of an anomaly and not a trend, then he is going to be a good right tackle for the Packers. He's not going to be um, Brian Bulaga, but he's going to be a solid right tackle for the Green Bay Packers. And that's who I think will start. And barring injury, I think that's who's going to be your right tackle for the majority of snaps in the 2020 season. Um, but it, it definitely is an interesting one to watch. And and then injuries. I think the next guy up is Alex Light. Like, if David Bakhtiari goes down and Billy Turner's playing solid and Rick Wagner's playing solid on the right side of the line – you don't really want to mess that up. So then you bring in Alex light. That to me is a little scary after those 
kind of preferred starters at the tackle position, that's where the tackle position scares me. But also that's every team. Most teams don't have this kind of luxury where I feel comfortable with both our tackles right now. Most teams have an issue being comfortable with one. There is not a lot of great tackles out there. So I do think that position, um, although it's it's an interesting conversation for Wright's um, tackle, I do think it's pretty well set in stone. Um, so let's move on to guard a little bit here. So obviously Elton Jenkins is on the roster, Cole Madison, Lucas Patrick, John Runyon, Simon Stepaniak, Lane Taylor, Billy Turner, and Zach Johnson is also on the roster. Um, Zach Johnson is an undrafted free agent from this year. So let's talk guards, Tyler. How are you feeling for the 2020 season? Well, it's similar to tackles. I feel good about the left side and the right side. I, I don't know. <laughs> um, it, I mean, Billy Turner's going to play somewhere on the right side. It's just a matter of where. <laughs> so you kind of mentioned guys, you know, your backup guys or who comes in after injuries. And I think the other part is like the rookies, too. I was really excited about all those sixth round draft picks that we that we drafted this year. Um, so I'll, I'll be interested to see in preseason how they hold up. Like, I want to know what they're going to be like. Can I feel comfortable after their preseason play knowing, hey, if Billy Turner goes down, say he's at right guard, am I comfortable with him coming into the game or am I going to be clenching my butt cheeks hoping Aaron Rodgers doesn't get schmucked? I mean, that that's kind of the thing to watch for. So kind of the same thoughts as a, as the tackle position for me. Um, just kind of curious to see who's actually going to play there. Yeah. Um, Elton Jenkins was incredible last year. And if we get that same Elton Jenkins with possibly a year two leap, like that's, that is a possibility. Um, he, he's going to be kind of, a, he's our, he's our left guard for the next 10 years. If he continues to play the way he did last year and possibly even improve on that. Um, other than that, right guard, I think right now it's Billy Turner, but Lane Taylor reworked his deal. So he's going to be on this team. He's not going to be a cap casualty. And to my eyes, increasing our kind of cap space by 4 million wasn't going to really allow us to sign anyone. Cause you still need money left over for if, and when guys go on the IR, you need to sign players that goes on the salary cap and you can't just like stop playing, some, paying someone because they get hurt. Um, so you need to pay the guys that get hurt and pay the new guys that are coming onto your roster that you're replacing them with. So you need to have kind of that fund set aside. I think they say, like six to nine million or somewhere in that range um, for that kind of rainy day fund, for lack of a better term. So cutting him, I didn't think was a big benefit. So to me, you keep a guy that is a starting level guard, in my opinion, in the NFL. And now you have three of them. So Elton Jenkins goes down, Lane Taylor, easy plop into left guard, and you're comfortable with that. Same thing. Billy Turner goes down at right guard. You feel very comfortable putting Lane Taylor at right guard. And maybe Lane Taylor wins the job. Now, it's going to be hard with the amount of money that is tied up in Billy Turner. But if Lane Taylor is the better guard 
and he proves it in training camp, Matt LaFleur is going to be like, you know, Lane Taylor, this is your job. Billy Turner, if Elton Jenkins goes down, Lane Taylor goes down, or Rick Wagner goes down, you're the first guy up, and we need you ready for that. We need you to know both positions, and we need you to be good when and if the time comes. Um, And that, to me, is a great thing to have, where at tackle we don't have that, and maybe there's some possibility with Billy Turner's flexibility and versatility, being able to play multiple positions. That does help the tackle position as well, but I do think that the guard position is a little deeper. And if John Runyon, you know, that's that's the guy that a lot of Packers media and Packers fans are kind of clinging on to as the guy that they're hoping becomes something, because likely you're not going to get all three of these guys to hit. So if one of them hits, everyone's kind of thinking John Runyon will hit. So if John Runyon hits... And he comes in, and that allows you to move on from Billy Turner after the 2020 season. And that allows you to have John Runyon on a rookie sixth-round draft pick number be your starting right guard. You have Elton Jenkins at left guard, and at a rookie deal for the next, you know, after 2020, it would be another two years. And that makes it easier to sign Kenny Clark and David Bakhtiari and continue to make those positions that are a necessity for this team continue to make them good because you have these good young players that are playing on, you know, undervalued numbers, but that helps a team build. And that's why the draft is so important. So I, I do think the guard position is very interesting. Um, That is kind of it for guards. Let's just talk quickly about centers. So obviously Corey Lindsley is on the roster and he's the guy that is likely going to start. Also, um, Jake Hansen, the rookie sixth round pick from this year. And also, uh, I think you can also add Lucas Patrick in. He's listed as a guard on Packers.com, but he's a versatile guy that can, can also jump inside and play center as well and has for the Packers. So, how are you feeling about that that center position? Uh, I mean, I feel pretty good because Lindsley's been durable, uh, knock on wood. So 2020, I feel good. I mean, we've kind of talked about it. Centers, you know, you, we're probably not going to pay Lindsley after this year. So looking ahead into 2021, you hope Hansen can kind of go into that role. And I was just looking up a little bit more information on Hansen here uh, beforehand and um, says he had like some high snaps. He was primarily a shot, like was that a shotgun when he was in college? Um, had a little bit issues with high snaps, so I guess that's maybe maybe a little concerning. But they also said he was one of his st- biggest strengths was awareness and snuffing out blitzes and twists. Which so after seeing all that um, should hopefully translate well to the to the NFL level. I guess the biggest thing with him was his size and leverage and ability to go up against some of those stronger guys so hopefully a year becoming a pro getting stronger um he utilizes this time to learn a little bit from Lindsley and work on the physical part of his game yeah i i definitely agree um Lindsley for me is kind of like aaron jones it's just there, there's other guys you have to pay you have to pay Connie clark and david bakhtiari if Kevin King shows up, that might be a necessity too. Like he might jump Aaron Jones just because 
we talk about it all the time on this podcast, other podcasts, any sort of media that you read, even though you might not find a Aaron Jones level talents, running backs are much easier to replace. And if Kevin King kind of shows up and can be cons- consistent this year, you know, that might be the better option. If you are able to sign a third guy, Kevin King might be the guy because cornerbacks are hard to find. And even though he had an injury riddled first two years, if he is healthy this year and can be a little bit more consistent than he was last year, he is a very solid number two. And then you have to figure out number three. And that's something that, again, just like the tackle position, not all teams in the NFL have that luxury of, okay, we got our top two guys. Now let's worry about this, this third guy in this case, that kind of slot corner type of role. So it'll, it'll definitely be an interesting um, season to watch and a season that really has an effect on future years at all, like all of these positions on the offensive side of the ball there is contracts on the line um, and how these players play because of that is a big thing. You know, the whole Jordan Love, Aaron Rodgers situation, just every position here is is going to vastly depend on how these players play in 2020. So it's going to be definitely a fun season to watch, hopefully a great season to watch, and hopefully a full 16 games plus, you know, another you know, three or four wins in the postseason and hoisting another Lombardi trophy. Let's go. Hopefully that happens. <laughs> um, I think that's going to be it for us, unless you have anything else you wanted to mention about offensive line or any other position groups on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, just like a general overall, like bird's eye view of the offense. Like you have to remember we have still an elite level quarterback. We have a very strong running back group. We have one of the best wide receivers in the NFL and one of the best left tackles in the NFL. And our old line's probably right up there with one of the best, at least, at least top 10. So that's like, you compare that to other teams. Not a lot of teams can say they have a lot of these things. So our offense, I think is in, in pretty good shape. And in year two of, of Matt LaFleur's offense, it should blossom even more. So seeing how we have all the players there, we know what they're capable of. It's just go out there, execute and do it. So I'm really excited for our offense this year. Yeah, I am too. Uh, If we can see a 2016 type of like resurgent offense that happened in second year of Kyle Shanahan, Matt LaFleur down in Atlanta. And we get that now up here with, with Matt LaFleur as the head coach. I, I do think that is a possibility. And I think part of that has to be with Aaron Rodgers just accepting the offense and allowing Matt LaFleur to call his plays when and how he wants to and not have to worry about adding these things that Aaron Rodgers feels comfortable with because at this point it's Matt LaFleur's team and we need we hired him for a reason he is a very bright young offensive mind and I think we need to see what his vision for the offense is because like you said it is an immensely talented group even though the depth might not be there especially at wide receiver you mentioned the top line talent it, it it's an incredible group of players between 
Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones, Devontae Adams, and David Bakhtiari. That is a four-group monster that is by far impressive and maybe the best quarterback, offensive lineman, running back, wide receiver tandem or quad pairing, whatever you want to say, in, in the entire NFL because they are all top five at their position. Um, you know, maybe Aaron Rodgers is starting to drift down a little bit with age, but they're all top line talents in this in this league. So it is definitely exciting, and I can't wait to see our guys on the field and be able to talk more specific football stuff with you. But next week, we are going to look at the defensive side of the ball and kind of break it down like we did the offense. But until then, go back, go. Go back.